Welcome to the Brolly Marketing Podcast Series, where we explore anything and everything to do with running your small business. Today, we are going to look at an issue that is affecting millions of companies all over the world, as we learn to live with the altered reality of the post-COVID business world, namely how to lead your team when you and they are not in the office, but working remotely. My name is Dave Harris, and joining me to talk about this very current problem is Brolly Marketing Associate Stephen McAllister and our special guest Tim Johns. Stephen is an experienced business leader whose commercial background has developed over three decades in a diverse range of businesses, including Unilever and PepsiCo. As well as working with Brolly, Stephen now owns and runs Concierge, an online rental platform. Tim Johns is an author, consultant and coach specialising in leadership, communication and change. His book, Leading from Home, was written and published as a direct response to the crisis facing many business leaders as their staff and teams are forced out of the traditional office environment to work from home. Tim has a background in the large corporate environment too, holding senior communication positions at Sainsbury's, BT and Unilever. He now runs his own company, Arato Consulting. Tim and Stephen, thank you both very much for joining me here. Tim, why did you write the book? What was, uh, what was the inspiration behind it? Well, firstly, thank you for asking me along. It's very kind and it's good to talk about these uh, important subjects. And I think the reason I wrote the book was that uh, lockdown started as a bit of a novelty, to be honest. Everybody was having a bit of fun. Uh, they either went into panic mode or they went into holiday mode. And But nobody really knew what to do. People were enjoying being with the family. People were enjoying not having to spend so much time commuting. But actually, uh, it's, it quickly became apparent that this wasn't a short-term issue, that people were in it for the long term. And when the novelty wore off, uh, people began to realise that there were many issues with working from home and leading from home, which they hadn't really thought about. It's not as easy as you think when um, it's, it's one thing when you, when you do it for a short term or perhaps just once a week or once a month but doing it consistently day in day out weeks on end uh, it's a it required a huge mind shift and in my conversation with many leaders and many people I realized that actually uh, on the surface they were kind of coping but deep down they were really struggling to kind of make sense of what it meant. Stephen is that, is that your experience as well I mean do you think do you think leading from home and working from home for that matter is significantly different from, uh, I mean, obviously, apart from the physical difference, obviously, but, it, but are there psychological, are there differences that need to be taken in account from a business point of view? I think there is. I think it, uh, it works well for some people and it doesn't work necessarily that well for other people. So I was interested to some of the uh, points that Tim made in his book, even at the very simple level about the intensity of doing Zoom meetings and how a Zoom meeting is actually a slight intrusion into someone's home and how you should manage those perhaps better or differently. I don't know, Tim, if that's come up when you've been chatting to people or if that's observations others have made. It became quite clear very quickly that um, Zoom is good for many things and it's pretty poor for other things. So when I say Zoom, that's shorthand for Microsoft Teams and Google Meets and, uh, and all the other Hangouts. Um, it's great for um, team or family quiz nights, but it's less good for, for many other meetings. And it's a bit like uh, television. They used to say that um, TV uh, accentuates, so it makes tall people look taller and short people look shorter and all that sort of thing. And I think Zoom makes bad managers worse and good managers better in a funny kind of a way. Because 
the intensity of a Zoom meeting because we, we are having to relearn how to make eye contact. We're having to relearn how to um, pick up the sign because we're kind of, we're, we're always looking to jump in when it's, when it's not our turn, if there's a pause. And people forget, of course, that sound and vision are transmitted separately and they come together at your uh, uh, machines, pa you know, packet technology, as it were. And there'll always be some sort of gap. And as individuals, as humans, we're always looking for a little gap to jump in. So that isn't good. Looking at yourself effectively in a mirror all day isn't good and people uh, forget another good example would be um, I mentioned the intrusion point and I in the book I talk about it being like uh, your neighbours coming around uh, the first time they knock on the door it's quite nice to see them please come in the second time well oh it's you again and the third time it gets rather intrusive and that's a little bit like always having the boss coming around and I mean, I've been working I've, been, I've had a, a home office for, for 10 years now I have a home office and I have a study I have a proper setup I have office chairs I have everything at the right level I've got ethernet cables I've got a door which I can close uh, my wife is working uh, in, 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 the, in the office in the, another part of the house so we are perfectly adaptable for this sort of um, long-term intense home working. But many people aren't. Many people are having to struggle with spare bedrooms, with laptops on a pile of books and a dressing table. You have people who are sharing rooms or sharing kitchen tables with, with other people. My daughter, believe it or not, her flatmate is in a fairly senior position in the MOD. Uh, and every time he has a Zoom call, she has to go and lock herself in the bedroom. I mean, that's, you know, that's, that's just a crazy situation. But that's the reality of what working from home means to many people. I know I've got a niece who's one of five, um, you know, 25-year-old consultants sharing a kitchen table in a, in, a, in a flat in Archway. I mean, it's just madness. And to expect your, your, for your boss to expect that their call takes precedence over anybody else's use of the broadband system, be that uh, in a flatmate or partner or um, uh, uh, homeschooling. I mean, that to me is intrusive. So I think actually the empathy issue is one of the key things I try to get over in the book is getting leaders to think not just about their own circumstances, but to be really clear about the circumstances of, uh, uh, of the teams and the context in which they are having to work from home. I suppose that's the point, isn't it, Tim, that you, you've got to have empathy. You've got to, I mean, as a boss, I suppose it's, you know, you should have that anyway. You should have it all the time. But in these new circumstances, hopefully your own experience, particularly if you're not used to working at home, will, will help to inform that and, and help you to realise that... Uh, people are in strange circumstances. It all came as a bit of a shock to everybody. And, um, you know, we were all caught up in it very, very quickly. And, and not everybody had time to adjust. So, for instance, I know of one CEO of a global company who is based in a two-bedroom flat in London with his elderly mother, um, and he hadn't had time to bring his family over from, um, from America. So he had all his, his wife and children in one country, and he was with an elderly mother uh, in, um, in, in London. And he was having to be both carer and CEO at the same time as trying to steer an organisation through a real existential crisis when cash flow issues were, were difficult, customers were disappearing, and the whole marketplace was, uh, was in turmoil. And in those environments, you think very much about yourself and what it is you need to do to change, but you don't necessarily think about the issues on other people. And that's the point about empathy. It's actually trying to understand the other people's context. If I can give you one real example of the translation between, or the difference between working in an office, for instance, or working normally, should we say, and having people working remotely. And that's the concept of time. So in the old days, should we say, it was Monday to Friday and it was, um, it was nine to five. And those were office hours and people would, would be expected to do their work within, those, within that constraint. So a boss could easily say to somebody, I would like this piece of work by close of play on Thursday. 
you know, that's the sort of thing that every boss and everybody has had said to them or said to somebody else, you know, in the course of their working life. Well, what does Thursday mean anymore? And what does close of play mean anymore? I mean, Thursday is now Blur's Day. It's that bit we're not quite sure if it's the weekend yet, because no, you can't tell the difference between, between the days of the week. And close of play is, is, is literally an irrelevant concept uh, when people are having to juggle homeschooling, toddlers, elderly parents, all the other things that are going on in their lives. Why, why should... Um, a, a deadline be six o'clock on a Thursday, for instance. And it's allowing people to find their own way of working so they can find time to take the dog for a walk, uh, look after the toddlers, uh, helping uh, help um, the homeschooling, uh, have lunch with the family, um, and work perhaps post-bedtime or post-bath time or post-story time, whatever it might be, and then work in the evening. Now, that kind of flexibility is one of the best things about working from home, but it only works if leaders are prepared to allow their people to have uh, the responsibility of their own working time and to trust them to do their work. Now, some very big words there, trust being one of them, giving people responsibility and, and some control over their working life is another concept. And, of course, many leaders were doing this and, of course, many businesses were encouraging it. The point is that now we've gone into this very, very quickly, many people have to learn um, skills which they haven't had before. Stephen, I mentioned at the beginning that you uh, now run, run a company called Concierge, an online rental platform. So presumably you have one or two people working for you. You have a team. How have you found this new reality? I mean, or were you already kind of working from home and that sort of thing? We were the latter in that we were, were a distributed business. Um, our people are based everywhere and anywhere. I've got um, developers in India. We've got salespeople selling into the UK and the US based in France. We've got some colleagues in the UK. So actually, that business was set up as um, being able to work from home from the very first minute, not because we were preempting the lockdown. It's just it was our, it was our chosen way of working. Um, but I was interested, if it's okay, just Tim, to ask um, your opinion or your observations on something. Because I think going back that that setup of a business where it's virtual, you can work from anywhere, everybody trusts everybody to get on with their job. If I go back a few years, I always got the impression that a lot of businesses didn't really like working from home because there was a lack of trust or belief that the, the job got done that you could trust people to do the work when they weren't there is that attitude changing has this situation brought about a change in attitude to working from home being a perfectly normal way rather than being a slightly less desirable way of working well, there's a few things here. Firstly, if I could take you back 20 years to when I was actually at, at BT, and we sponsored something um, called the Millennium Dome, you may remember that. And um, the BT exhibition was all about the, the future of technology and therefore the future of work and the future of home life. And working from home was a big thing for us um, 20 years ago. And um, as an organisation, we decided to have uh, our offices uh, running at 80% capacity. In other words, we would never have 100% seats for 100% of people and we were encouraging working from home and encouraging working remotely and we used to have I had this big board whiteboard outside my office uh, for all the team and saying what they were doing where they were and WFH stood for working from hammock you know the, the assumption was people weren't ever taking it seriously they were mowing the lawn and they were, they were having a bit of a day off but bit by bit by bit we all learned how to lead people remotely how to um, 
Oh, difficult conversations remotely. How to give people targets and how to how to um, praise people remotely, etc. And and of course, how to work in teams remotely on the same project. And of course, technology and uh, you know whether it's Microsoft Teams or Slack or you know Yammer and all the all the kind of um, tricks we use now to help collaboration uh, online has hugely changed and it's become much much more mainstream. But one of the other real problems is because uh, before it was often just one person in a family. Is working from home. The kids were at school. The kids were at, uh, at childcare, and and whatever. What happened in lockdown is the whole family was together at the same time, and that created a very very unique set of circumstances. And one of the big issues uh, which we haven't um, uh, addressed as a society, I think, is is the issues of mental health because now the boundaries before b b between where work starts and work finishes and where home life starts and home life finishes are so incredibly blurred that people don't know from one minute to the next whether they're working or not. And that goes especially for the other people um, in the household, in the, in, the, in, the, in, the, in the family with them. And before, even the people who were working from home, the rest of the, the, rest of the house had, household had its own rhythm. Now, when that rhythm has disappeared, it makes it very, very difficult. So yes, Stephen, your point is absolutely spot on. We are much better at, at learning how to work from home. However, we haven't yet learned how to all work from home at the same time when the doors are locked and we can't go out and there really is no uh, respite between work and, and the office. So I think that's one, another one of the reasons I, I um, or the motivation for writing the book was to help people and leaders understand the, the very, very real issues with health and well-being as well as just the physical and um, leadership issues as well. Talking of mental health, Tim, one of the things you mentioned in the book which kind of struck me as, as interesting was that leaders struggle to lead from home because they haven't learnt to lead themselves. Could you tell me exactly what you meant by that? What I really mean by that is that, uh, I, and again, I, I mentioned about working from home and Zoom, that it tends to accentuate and it makes good people look good and, you know, and, and tall people look tall or whatever it was. And I think the same is true with, with leaders. There are many who've, who've, who are such natural modern leaders that they have taken to this well. However, there is still a huge cohort of people who see leadership as being the decision maker in chief. They're the people who check everybody's work. They're, the, they're, they're not good at delegating. They're not good, good at building self-forming teams. They're very focused on uh, reporting lines or um, KPIs and deadlines, and they're very, very prescriptive how they lead. And with that comes a misunderstanding uh, about the difference between communication and behaviour. So many leaders think that if they say something, people will do what they say. Well, that isn't the case. We know. We know. We know. With young children, they don't do what they say. What you say, they, they do what you do, and therefore, if you as a leader are not exhibiting the kind of behaviours you need to succeed in an online world, then none of your team will either. So my point was, in the same way as you know, they say, always put your own life mask first, uh, in oxygen mask first, before helping anybody else. Leaders need to focus on their own behaviours before they can help anybody else. So a couple of examples. One of the issues that many people struggle with working from home is taking proper breaks. 
People think they're, they're at their desk nine to five. Well, if you sit at a desk nine to five and don't go anywhere, you will seriously harm your back and you will seriously harm yourself. So, for instance, a leader who says, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go for a walk now or I'm going to do my Pilates class or I'm going to go out in the garden for half an hour, that is a good thing because you're signalling to your staff that actually building in some kind of physical and mental resilience to, um, to, to, to working from home is a good thing as opposed to, you know, you've got to be in your spare bedroom, staring at your Zoom screen from nine till five, not going anywhere, which is a crazy way to do it. So actually, I'm trying to encourage leaders to think about how they can think about their own health and well-being first. And by doing it, they demonstrate to others and therefore give permission to their teams to do the same thing. Stephen, you mentioned a little while ago that, you know, you, 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 your business was built on, on this model of working from home. You know, you didn't do that because you knew there was a pandemic around the corner. Obviously, you did it just because it, it happened to fit with what you were setting up. But um, are there lessons that, that we can learn from businesses like yours that have been doing it for a while, you know, that we can that we can that more traditional businesses can take on board? Yeah, I, I, I definitely think there are. I think uh, some of the things we didn't realize before lockdown that become more apparent now that we're locked down, and it, it relates to what Tim said as well, is that even though we're remote, you still had the, the option from time to time to meet up face to face, not with everybody if we're really, really distributed, but certainly people that were local to each other, you know, those live in and around London, for example. And actually that blend of being able to sit and chat to people every so often is really, really valuable. It's the social side, it's the interaction, it's the, it's the dare I say, sometimes it's the fun side. The first 30 minutes of the meeting might be chatting and catching up with everybody rather than working. Whereas working from home, working remotely is pretty intense. And I, I, I have an opinion and I've listened, heard some people say working from home is more intense than working in an office in the sense that you never break. You, you're never away from Zoom. You're never away from, from email. So actually in lockdown, what I've, what I've observed and I think is true is that you miss the bit that's the, the slightly social side. It's the ability to sit with colleagues in the office and chat and perhaps have an idea perhaps kick ideas around that you're never going to ring up someone up or, or zoom meet up about or you're never going to write long emails about and years ago we had a different business and we allowed working from home and, and the interesting thing was we didn't have a particular policy in the sense of you could or you couldn't we let people choose and by and large nobody worked from home for more than two days before they come back to the office because they were missing that social side and i think that's a bit that's I think it's hardest to overcome right now. I don't know what, what Tim's view is and what others think, but that's the hardest bit to battle with. It's, it's get rid of that intensity, put the fun side back in, the social side, the interaction side back in, because for those who work off working with people, it must be really difficult working from home all of the time. Yes, I, th I think there's a couple of things in what you say, Stephen. Firstly, people have been working remotely for an awfully long time. You know, many of us have spent, you know, months on the road, aeroplanes back and forth to the US, back and forth, you know, and you're, it doesn't matter where you work from, which airport lounge or which which office you're, you're, you're working. And indeed, when I set up my, my consultancy, um, I, I, there was never intention to have any bricks and mortar or office. I, I work out of a home office. I work out of two clubs in London, you know, business clubs in London and I go to people's offices. So the, the concept of being remote to me is, is uh, or not in an office uh, makes perfect sense. But your point about human contact, uh, humour and the emotional side is very well made. Serendipity is much more difficult when you're working remotely and you can't talk to people. You just can't bump into people by accident or by accidentally on purpose even. There are no water cooler moments. There are no kind of spontaneous, let's go for a drink. Um, it, 
there's none of that sort of side, which is hugely important. I'm sure many people have been to family gatherings recently, you know, as lockdown has been eased, and it, how difficult it is to maintain two metres from, from you know, a loved one you haven't seen for a long time or a family friend. You can't even shake their hand, let alone give somebody a hug. Now, so we're, as human beings, we desperately need that kind of um, social and emotional bonding. And that is one of the difficulties. And this is my point about... Um Dave, you said, what was the motivation for writing the book? And it was the realisation that this is the long term. This isn't a short term issue now. And we've gone from panic mode into and, and holiday mode, those two kind of extremes, into a kind of, oh, my goodness, this, this is going on and on and on. And we are, you know, if we're, if we're honest with ourselves, not all of it is going as well as we wanted it to. Um, we're all desperate to get away. We can't even go on holiday anymore. So we're going to have to start thinking for ourselves a little bit better about how to manage ourselves in the long term. So let's let's finish by talking about the future. Obviously, you've implied there that, that you think this is going to go on for a long while. And I know Google recently announced that nobody was going to come back to their offices until 2021, summer of 2021, I think they said, uh, which is obviously, as we're recording this podcast, that's a year away. I mean, why, where do you see the, the future, Tim? What's this all going to look like in a year's time, in your in your view? A few things, and I should start by saying that there's a special place in hell, according to Dante's Inferno, for people who try and predict the future. Um, they, are, they, are, they are cursed to spend the rest, uh, whole of eternity with their heads turned backwards. So I'm not going to make any forecasts. What I will say is that it seems, to, it seems clear that the trends which were already in society are accelerating rather than necessarily the emergence of new trends. So those trends were automation, they were AI, they were climate change, they were you know, demographic change. There, there were significant ch changes in society, which meant that many um, businesses uh, and many sectors were under real, real strain. And what lockdown has done is accelerate many of those issues. So, for instance, um, online uh, shopping, use of technology uh, in businesses and in, in medicine, for instance, all these things are hugely accelerating, which means the nature of work will change. Now, with that, um, and the, the COVID issue particularly, it does seem that there will be no rush back to Whatever, whatever normal was in the past for many reasons. One, well, two main ones. One, because we won't be able to. Um, there won't be a vaccine which will be uh, cover the whole of the world. And therefore, in order to take the strain off uh, mass transit and populations, people will be encouraged to stay at home and work from home for a significant uh, amount of time. The second reason why things won't change to what uh, go back completely to what they were is because we won't want them to. Because there are actually many, many parts, uh, elements of lockdown which people have enjoyed. People have enjoyed being more time, uh, spending more time with their family. People have enjoyed not having to commute quite so often. Uh, there are issues with um, the opposite of that as well, with many people missing the gap between work and home which commuting often uh, allows. But you know, there are many parts of um, lockdown which people have enjoyed. So we will want to have a hybrid model in the future. We want, we'll want to have the best of both worlds, really. But I think the reality is that big offices, flagship offices in, in the cities, in the big metropolitan cities, will be running at spare capacity for some considerable time. And that will enable there to be less issues with mass transit uh, into, into, into the big conurbations. People will be encouraged to work from home uh, more frequently and to be much, much more flexible and adaptable in how they work. I'm very optimistic because I think, I think all, with all that comes um, real opportunities to change society for the better. For instance, clean air for, and, uh, and issues like that. The clock is not going to turn back to exactly as it was. And therefore, we are, we are going to be faced with some form of high 
hybrid working for con- a considerable time. And Stephen, uh, do, you, do you agree with that? Do you see it the same way? Yeah, I, I think this change, we won't, we won't change back. There'll be a lot of things we change that, that we're here for good. And uh, I think, and again, it was an obs- I think Tim made a point in his, his book uh, that uh, I thought was interesting is when we get out of all of this, what's the office for? What's its purpose? I think that's completely different at the end of this as it was at the start. So I, I think there'll be a lot of debate about I'm just chatting to colleagues and friends and neighbours who are all working in and around big cities in, in London, in my case. Uh, there's a lot of different attitude to what the office, what the purpose of the office is from, from here on in. Uh, and then what, what the purpose, uh, sorry, what the effect is on travel, climate change and whatever. So the kind of the rule of thumb I've been using, if, if you take London and you said a half of the people decide to work from home some of the time so that they only travel a half of their time, that means the demand for transport has gone down by 25%. In one hand, that's fantastic. The transport's easier. Uh, the environmental impact's positive. But how does that look for someone like Transport for London with 25% of the revenue gone? So it, I think it's going to be really interesting how things change. Uh, and I, I, I wouldn't claim to be able to make accurate predictions, but I do think they'll be a lot different and things like the whole idea of an office could well change quite dramatically. I'm one of these people who have been to lots of offices all around the world uh, for various uh, various companies and various clients, and they all look very, very similar. Um, despite you know, the fact that we, we like to think of ourselves as individuals or individual businesses or individual brands or offices around the world are extraordinarily similar. And so one wonders whether they're organised in, in order for work to happen as the most efficient model, or else they're just... Uh, they, they're just just, we've kind of we kind of created this model where we don't, we don't have to break out of it. What are they for? Uh, in some instances, they act as symbols. Um, they act as a power, the great big brand on the facade. But no, I, I've often struggled with this because. If you go into a large corporate, you'll have all the marketeers on one side, all the finance on the other side. You'll have a sales team on the other side. Everybody has their own own area, and there's no there's there's no kind of collaboration or hardly any inter- interaction between HR and finance or in separate places. So. We, we pretty much put people into into large uh, offices in order to organise work. Well, actually, when it comes down to it, I think what offices really offer is what Stephen said, and that's an opportunity to meet other people, to have a joke, have a laugh, to talk about the football, to have uh, moments of serendipity. And that's a far, far more effective way to operate than to have people simply sitting in uh, side by side for the sake of it. And I spent in most of my business career, a minimum of an hour and a half each way to get to work. So that's up to three hours a day. Well, I had great jobs and I travelled the world and did great things, but goodness me, that's just hard work, isn't it? It really is. And it takes a toll. Add into that kind of, you know, business flights across the Atlantic half the time. It's, it's, it's a lot of, lot of work, and a lot of effort, and it's not good for the environment. So if we can find another way of thinking, I think that's a good thing. Because a lot of people got into a trap, I think, of seeing work as somewhere where they went rather than something they did. And actually, if you deconstruct that, uh, work doesn't have to happen in an office, and it can be far more productive if we put it into different places. Thank you very much, Stephen and Tim. You've been listening to the Brawley Marketing Podcast with our special guest, Stephen McAllister, and the Leading From Home author, Tim Johns. You can order Leading From Home through Amazon, and you can find out more about Tim and his consultancy and coaching work by going to www.aratoconsulting.co.uk. 
www.brolymarketing.co.uk. If you'd like to find out more about Stephen and Broly Marketing and the multidisciplinary services it offers, please go to www.brolymarketing.co.uk, where you'll find information about Stephen's expertise and, of course, more podcast episodes. So please subscribe, share and keep listening.